I think you need to understand what you are gambling with uh, when you go to college and get your college degree, when you decide on your career, when you decide on who to date or who to marry. You know, you you want to gamble with as little in your life as possible. And you need to understand when this is something that you are able to correct if something goes wrong and when you are possibly over-investing and making a big mistake. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Ramble Room. As I always say, this is a safe place to ramble. And uh, I'm recording at home today because the kids are home for spring break. Uh, they're not quite old enough to leave here by themselves. So uh, they're in the other room doing their thing. And I have instructed them not to bother me. But uh, if we do get interrupted, you know, that's life. And life happens. And uh, I appreciate your understanding. But today's guest, I'm just thrilled to have him on. He is an actor and an IT professional, a martial artist. Uh, and someone who does a lot of thinking and always has an interesting take on how things are and how they should be. He's an old friend of mine and a kind soul, and I'm just thrilled that he's here in the Ramble Room today, Mr. Kevin Winslow. Kevin, how are you, man? I am doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And how have you been, man? I haven't, uh, haven't had a chance to talk to you in, jeez, you know, yeah, almost dude. like face-to-face in over a year. Yeah, man. Wait, no, didn't we have that coffee up at uh, on Burbank? Was that really over a year ago? No. That was January of 2022. No, what? Yeah. That's crazy, dude. No, things wait, have wait, been... Wait, hang on, let me think. What? Yeah, 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 January 2022. Up at, up at the Ugly Mug on Burbank Boulevard. That was January? Yeah. Can you believe wow. that? Wow. Uh, because I, I remember thinking about that when you emailed me about this thing. I was like, holy smokes. I think it's actually been over a year since we saw... But you know what? That's an L.A. thing. That's the crazy thing is that it's actually the miracle is that we still have a friendship in L.A. despite these things because I've been thinking about business connections so much (laughs) over the last few months. And uh, and that's the crazy part of this town is that really your circle becomes who you know right now, who is your best friend right now, what is your job and, you know, what do you believe in right now because – if yeah. you want to maintain anything, it's a it's a very free flowing environment. Whereas almost anywhere else, where there's a smaller town, a smaller community, there's more stability. You know, there's just less people. Yeah. You have less options. You know, less change. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, as we always start with, what are you up to in your life right now, and what's the story of how you got there? Well, you know, it's such an interesting thing. Uh, you know, uh, for me personally, uh, I, I I could probably talk for hours and say. You know, well, since the dawn of time, you know, men and women <laughs> met, and you know, down the line of succession through, you know, whatever. But, uh, but really, truthfully, I came to LA. Uh, well, let me start a little bit further back than that. Uh, I started off as a professional actor right after a career in college, getting a degree in uh, a Bachelor of Arts in theater. And that was probably a decision. If I could tell anybody anything today, I would say, uh, if you were looking to be an actor, Probably not in college. You know, that's probably not the route you want to take. Uh, and I'll, you know, I'll talk probably more about that later uh, in other questions. But uh, I got my degree in theater, started working professionally in Arizona, 
in uh, you know, musicals. I was a gondolier for one point at the Hyatt Regency Scottsdale, rowing boats and singing Italian love songs. Uh, I was a children's teacher theater, you know, uh, excuse me, a children's theater teacher, uh, you know, with, uh, uh, and then also, you know, worked uh, at a dance studio as a, you know, charter school martial arts instructor, you know, like I, I just did this whole web of things. But what was interesting was that uh, uh, I remember we had a night, it was a cast party that was happening for one of the shows at Phoenix Theater. And uh, we had people over at our place in downtown Phoenix and a commercial came on and, you know, somebody, you know, I had a roommate at the time and somebody told my roommate, they're like, yeah, look at that guy who's on the TV. Uh, you know, you're so much better than that guy. And it, it went off like a light bulb in my head. I was like, wait a minute, but all of us are here in this room. None of us are in LA having, you know, sacrificed everything to, to move out to that town to you know struggle and find an agent to get the audition to go into a room to compete against the other actors for that laundry detergent you know <laughs> to, to sell that laundry detergent and hopefully make that kind of money and, and be on tv it's a different market and no matter how good we are if we're in this room we'll never be there making that kind of money because we were all fighting that's the thing about regional theater is you're all fighting for the few jobs there are Mm, and yeah. uh, you have to be extremely talented, but the competition is very high. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so I went to L.A. where the competition would obviously be so much <laughs> What a great decision that was. Oh, so uh, yeah. I moved to L.A. Uh, <laughs> shortly, shortly after having that thought uh, to be a professional actor. From there, I got pulled into corporate America. I uh, started off as a receptionist at a company as a temp uh, and then was headhunted by somebody in that company to become a technical uh, training uh, coordinator. But, you know, that's eventually what my job title ended up being. First, I started off as a training coordinator, then moved into the technical side of things. And then uh, I spent years after that job. Uh, unfortunately, that company had to... The It's so funny. I'm so used to the business speak way of talking about it. <laughs> oh, the business yeah, speak way you know, is always like the... Uh, well, you know, the company uh, to maintain profitability had to reduce its size by 10% to, you know, I like you say these things in interviews sometimes. I'm like, yeah, we got laid off. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what happened. We got laid off. You know, times got tough. We got laid off. But uh, we did get a severance package. They were generous that way. And uh, I spent those next almost, you know, uh, eight years trying to jump back into acting. So, you know, going back into improv classes going and doing background work, uh, you know, and uh, yeah. And the one thing was though, I, my, my one regret I think is that I didn't fight harder to get back with an agent and start actually auditioning again. I, I did my round of headshots and then I sort of chickened out a little bit. I, I just didn't feel like I had uh, enough talent to, to actually do it. So I kept doing things to make myself ready. And that's kind of how I got trapped in the hole of improv which was constantly feeling like I, I need to improve before I can really take this professional step. But that choice got taken completely out of my hands after COVID. COVID changed everything. And all of a sudden, you, you look back and realize, I have been out here almost 20 years. <laughs> it went by so fast. And, uh, and then you look and you just say, okay, well, what do I still have left to do ahead of me? How much time do I have to get there? And I think I need to make some hard choices. So I decided to try to jump into the world of IT because everything in COVID was starting to say that people were trying to work more from home. And the more you're trying to do that, the more you're trying to have 
whatever job you're trying to work or whoever you're trying to talk to, you have to network your computer to another computer. You have to make some kind of connection. If you can't do it in person, you've got to do it electronically. And so that seemed like a really good growth industry to go into. So I started taking classes, went to night school, uh, you know, uh, got my first certification last year. I'm working on certification number two and using the strength of that education, trying to work my way, pardon me, into, uh, into jobs. And that's kind of where I'm at today. Dude, that's amazing. I, I, what you just said is so fascinating about acting. Uh, mm. or, and I guess it's really any pursuit, anything that you're learning, anything you're trying to get better at. You felt like you got caught in a trap of thinking you had to be more ready than you were to actually like take the next step. Did I kind of interpret that right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating. exactly right. Yeah. And I mean, it's not just... It's not just work environment. Anybody can fall into this trap at any time. Oh, uh, before I get married, I need to be these things. Oh, before I step into a church, I need to do these things. Uh, oh, before I can actually go to the gym and start losing weight, I need to do these things at home. Whatever that trap is, it's that that trap of this is where I'm setting the bar and what I feel is the minimum expectation I need to start doing something. And it's it's a massive trap. Because really, how do you lose weight? You you start going to the gym. You just go in. You know, how do I learn a martial art? You walk through the door. <laughs> you put on the white belt and you start learning. How do you do anything? You have to take that first step. And we build our, you know, I think a lot of fear is based on the idea that I have to do something before I do something else. And I have to be ready. And there's definitely moments in like moments in life where that's true. Where, okay, yeah, maybe before I go to war, it's a good idea to train as a soldier first. Yeah, okay. That sounds like a good idea. Let's make a plan before we do things. But there's a lot in life that you can only accomplish if you're willing to step in immediately. And it's really, I feel, wisdom is really just the difference of knowing, do I need to jump in with this right now, both feet, stop looking, stop waiting, stop hesitating? Or is this something I actually legitimately need to prepare for? What does that look like? How do I start that today? Dude, that that's uh I've heard so many stories about that, about you know, actors who we see now who are just massive and they talk about those times mm-hmm. where they were totally not ready and they were totally bluffing their way through something mm-hmm. and it worked out for them. <laughs> and that yeah. I feel like the, our industry specifically is is just like that a lot. There's there's times you kind of gotta bluster your way through a meeting, and as long as you project confidence, you can mm-hmm. kind of figure it out later. Uh, maybe not a great life plan, but it's funny how many times I hear that story. Uh, yeah. and, but that's, that's such good advice. Like if you wait too long, you won't do anything. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and it's crazy because this town, LA is, every business in the world is a business. And what's interesting about LA is that we wear our hypocrisy on our sleeves. We just don't always get called out on it. So for instance, you might have uh, in that situation, uh, let's, oh, here's something from the extras world. Okay. Uh, and I, I always say that this makes a great example because I'm not sure how familiar people are with extras. Excuse me, background artists. Maybe explain <laughs> that. Yeah, background. Yeah, to, maybe for the people that aren't in the industry, what is a background artist? Okay, so uh, let's imagine your favorite TV show or movie, and let's say it's a cop drama. So you're following around, uh, you know, uh, this cop as he goes around and solves crimes. Well, anytime he steps into any location that has more than just himself, his co-star and the person that they're talking to or speaking to about the crime, maybe, maybe it's a crime scene. Uh, maybe he's going to work and, you know, it's at the precinct. 
there's a thousand bodies filling the room of people who aren't saying anything, but they're making that space come to life. So if it was at the police precinct, you have the cop, his partner, probably his boss. But then aside from those three people, there's all the other detectives. There's all the uniformed uh, police officers who are walking around. There's probably guys in a holding cell somewhere that you can see. Maybe guys out in a waiting room. If it was a show like Bosch, what they did is they actually rebuilt the entire Hollywood precinct in set form uh, for their studio. It, it is it is a, as an exact replica as you can make without a roof. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> and they fill it front to back with extras, extras, background artists, who take the roles and spots of who you would see in that police station. That's what really background artistry is. Any scene that you're seeing in a film or TV show where there are bodies other than the principal people talking, the principals are being are the leads uh, and the cast uh, with speaking roles, anybody else is considered a background artist. They're, they're there as a body to fill up the space and make it look normal. That could be any college scene that could be for a little kid's birthday party swim party that could be a thousand people all chanting in unison for some brave speech made by you know an actor it could be anything and uh we also may mix in stunt performers uh into that group uh you know there's just there's a lot of things to it but for the most part background artists are the minimum wage workers and a huge backbone of the industry for a lot of shows. And I think the only ones that really kind of escape a lot using a lot of background are sitcoms. And uh, and even then I've worked on sitcoms before to, to fill out spaces. Uh, so that's so it's funny, that's such a microcosm of movie making and visual storytelling, the artificial reality, right? We're gonna do something supremely unnatural to make this set look real and feel like it's a real space. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. interesting. on the first Transformers film with Michael Bay. So this was one of the first summer jobs I had as soon as I moved out to LA. And it was an entire July of nothing but running. (laughs) I mean, in the heat of July at Universal Studios as we filmed for the first Transformers movie, nobody knew what this movie was going to look like (laughs) in the end product. You know, all we had were these uh, long wooden poles. Think, uh, think like a really really long broom handle and at the top it would have a uh like a white background and the face of a transformer on it (laughs) we didn't know who that was but it was just a visual marker of how tall these things were going to be and what we had to run from and uh, michael bay on the bullhorn swearing at us uh, (laughs) at top speed and you know for the those of you out there who don't know much about background i mean if you're trying to do something like a street scene uh, then you're going to have every age possible. You're going to have young people. You're going to have old people. You're going to have, you know, uh, every race, ethnicity, creed you possibly can. All sprinting, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, it's it's it can be a really hard job. Some days it's the easiest job you'll ever do, uh, and you do nothing and you still get paid for the day. Other days it can be extremely intense. It just depends on what the scene is that they're filming and what they need that crowd to do. And it is the bottom rung of the TV and film industry. Uh, no question about it. But 
uh, you also do get to meet a lot of wonderful people. You do get a lot of stories and a lot of actual behind the curtain look at the industry, good and bad. So, you know, I can have stories of, you know, what it was like to work on a set with Michael Bay or Phil Joano or what it's like to actually see stars at work. And I will tell you straight up, like the person that you see in the interview on your Tonight Show is not the person who is on set. That's, oh, yeah, no, it couldn't be, right? They, they can't be on all the time. That's not possible. Well, people don't understand, too. It's just like the Oscars. The Oscars were created by the film studios to help promote the film industry. The only <laughs> way right. that the award has is that everybody has now grown up after 100 years of this to think that the Oscars actually mean something. <laughs> you know, oh, all it is... Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm just throwing this out there yeah you know, no the no AMPA, dude i'm not arguing with you i'm not arguing yeah the the ampa uh the academy of motion pictures arts and sciences is is really it's a made-up institution i mean there's no <laughs> there, there was no objective body to this it's not made of critics who judge the industry it's not uh anything like that and so what you have is a kind of a country club of professionals who the only way to win an award is if they want you to win it and you take all the the criticism or the fan output or how many tickets you sold, all of that doesn't matter in the in the running process. And that's kind of the Oscars. And so the problem we have sometimes is that the industry is very insulated. And there's also a uh, like kind of an hypocrisy we wear. You know, how many other awards? And I'm I'm I love acting, by the way. I love LA guys. I'm just throwing out a layer of realism yeah. here. This is how we in the industry sometimes kvetch. Like, you're getting an inside look here. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, how many accountants or actuarials have award shows? Even one televised <laughs> award show. Now, think about this, because we have in, in, in L.A., we have the Oscars, the SAG Awards, the AFI Spirit, no, the AFI Awards, the Spirit, the Independent Spirit Awards, the Hollywood Film Awards. The list goes on. I just named five off the top of my head, okay, of how many times we award each other for our industry. Okay, and so we can have another celebration because, you know, MTV, oh, well, you know, they got to have their award show too. Why? What? <laughs> Why? Like, like, do you see? Do, yeah, like, man. do you see this kind of weird thing about this where the whole purpose of it is to tell you that this is important, that that this is an, it's to sell the idea that we do something that should be this uh, uh, that should earn this many accolades, you know, and I think they've done a great job with it. Most people look and I'm not should I say the word deify, but we, we lift up, uh, you know, actors, directors, producers, the, the industry kind of on a, a huge pedestal. And part of the reason we do that is because we've been taught to do that by that same industry. Yeah, man. I, I, I had heard that, that the whole idea was like, you know what? We need to glamorize this a little bit more. Let's start the Oscars. And I mean, I, I get it too. It is, it's a, an industry based on appearances and based on, you know, smoke and mirrors to a degree and based on, you know, capitalizing on, obviously we want to tell good stories and make good art. Like that's the baseline oh, yeah. of what I'm saying, but we do capitalize on people's, Suspension of disbelief. And the more you can, mm -hmm. can create this mystique, uh, the more people will be drawn in. But and I think as humans, we like that, too. Like, I, I don't think yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, not here in the in, in L.A., they understand what's going on, but it's fun to watch. You know, it's a spectacle. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, and just like with any business, you, you practice 
the questions the interviewer is going to ask before you go into the interview. It's the same thing for TV and film, guys. Like people, I don't think they always kind of put two and together. Oh, Tom Cruise has a publicist. Yeah, what do you think that publicist's job is to do? It's not just to get him to, you know, the Tonight Show. It's to prep him to answer any of the questions that are coming up on the Tonight Show. And those quirky little stories that they just are able to shoot from the hip, they practice those. They, they practice how to answer the different questions that are going to be in the interviews. You know, and they have a persona that is what is presented there. But behind the scenes, I mean, they're just a normal person, guys, you know, and the thing is, you know, we sometimes treat them like zoo animals if we see them in the street, like, oh, oh, get a look over here, get a look over here, get a look over here, take a picture, take a picture, take a picture. Don't be that guy. Guys, please, if you're the audience, please don't do that if you're in Hollywood. Well, here's what's funny, too. Like, what is it? I've. I don't know if I've heard it put this way, but it's like if people are upset about that seeming um, hypocrisy or duality, it's like, well, guys, that's what you want. Like, you don't want someone to be like, yeah. come on the Tonight Show and they're having a terrible day and then they just complain the whole set. Like, you don't want that, right? You're watching it to be entertained. And so, in a sense, um, yeah, actors are and celebrities are given a lot uh, because of their status, but they also have to work super hard to stay in that place. And eventually they will get shoved out of it because, you know, they age out. So, I mean, people like Tom Cruise and other people with these incredibly long careers are the exception. Oh yeah. Well, and I think, uh, I think it's easier for us to, to recognize aging out and not just aging out, but talenting out, um, you know, one bad failure. I mean, people out here, you know, they might write an article like whatever happened to that guy or somebody might think, Oh man, I really like that one actor on that one show, whatever happened to them. But for us living in this town, we meet all the struggling actors, you know, and we've met you and I, probably you've probably met at least a few hundred i've i feel like i've met thousands i'm sure yeah way more you than know me. through different improv classes through different churches through different social scenarios from being on set and the faces that never even make it onto the screen you know that come here they work really hard then they just drop off the face of the earth or they made it into one thing and then got blacklisted and now they're never working again uh, or I, I was able to spend 10 years here and get like five or six different gigs. And they spent 10 years just to get five or six gigs in the hope. This is this is a huge town. If I could warn anybody about L.A., the, the real catch is you're gambling. It's it's all about gambling. There There is no solid path forward. And everybody's path forward has been a little different. And you are gambling with your life is really what you're gambling with. And the hope and promise that, you know, maybe uh, my talent, my drive, my energy, if I put enough forward, will take me to some plateau. But there's so much that's not decided by you. You can only do your best, but it is a town where it's, it's a crapshoot. You might work here for 10 years and then somebody shows up here fresh off the bus, having just decided to be an actor in their hometown, and they get that agent and land that, that gig. For whatever reason, the producer just liked them at the audition more than you. They're working. You've spent 10 years and you're not. And there's no way to no way to really fight that. Um, that's one of the things I think people understand or, or at least know. But uh, the experience of it is very difficult. And I, it's one of the reasons we see such a drop off out here. Yeah, dude. And now before you came out, did you done acting in, the, in a more local market? Did mm-hmm. you kind of have that? 
knowledge you think or did it really take you coming out here and like living through it to be like oh i didn't get it till i got here how did that go yeah no that's a really good question you you know things but you don't understand things so for me in the smaller theater market i was struggling to get work i i got really lucky right out of college got hired right away for children's theater for the whole season and that really set up the wrong expectation for me where you're thinking like, dang, all right, I must be really talented. Uh, and it just was simply that the director who was directing that season, he just really liked me. Like that was, that was it. The next season, no, no spot for me in, in the casts. And, wow. uh, and that was a major bummer. And the first real hit of disappointment, uh, I got hired at a, uh, dinner theater across town for one show out of their season and all of a sudden it really dawns on you that the different there's only a few different places to work and you may get something you may not get something and out here you have to magnify that by a million fold you know where whew, uh, i went to uh several different auditions for really fun stuff i remember there was this one uh Dosecchi's commercial where they needed a guy who could kick in another dude's head. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I am your man. Like this, this to me is a silver bullet. And I remember being at the audition and there's all these guys. They also needed you to do splits, by the way. So Ooh. all these guys are, we're, we're all wearing white. Uh, oh no, no, excuse me. That's a, that was a different commercial. That was Hanes. And so we're all wearing these white Hanes t-shirts and stretched out and stuff like that. Now I actually can do splits. And so I've, I've dropping into splits in this casting office and all these guys are looking at me with dread on their faces. Cause they all said <laughs> that they could do this on their resumes, oh, but now man. here it is push comes to shove. And you know, have you really been giving up the skill? Were you really ever able to do this in the first place? Well, now they need you to. And so there's all these guys out there trying to do it like 10 <laughs> seconds. So anyway, I'm feeling great. I'm like, all right, I'm dropping to do it splits. Uh, they're doing another commercial next door. Uh, where they need a guy uh, who's also supposed to do some martial arts stuff that I wasn't there for, but they pulled me in because they saw me stretching and they're yes. like, that guy can do this stuff. <laughs> like, do you, do you want to audition for this? And I was like, yeah, sure. Come on in. So I had two auditions that night. And the person who was running that audition actually was somebody I had met doing background. Uh, way back on a film called The Peaceful Warrior. So I felt so bad for the other guys there auditioning because I was like, I'm there. I'm doing all these great splits. I'm, I'm throwing all these really high kicks. Plus the casting director who's there, uh, the assistant for them is there and she's somebody I know. And so we're chatting away, catching up and I can just see the intimidation on the other dude's eyes. They're like, uh... oh my gosh, that guy knows it. <laughs> and here's the thing, I didn't get the job. You know, I knew the person doing the casting I got called in because of my talent for another commercial, you know, for another commercial right next door. Didn't get either of them. And, Man. and that's LA. And you know, why? I don't know. Maybe because I wasn't SAG. That might've been it. That actually could have been a huge part of it. I don't know. But, uh, but that's the thing about LA is there's no guarantees of success and everything is a gamble. Everything, no matter how much of a silver bullet this job may look for you, it may not be. You, you just don't know. And, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, for me, coming out of theater, one good thing about theater is that your lifespan there is much longer. I mean, you could be that 30-year-old still playing kids' roles up on stage. Nobody can tell. If you're short, <laughs> like, you know, if you're, like, I, I had an ex-girlfriend who uh, just was, like, the queen of 
playing, you know, the little girl or even little boy on stage, depending on the show, you know, well into her thirties. Like that was just, that was kind of her her you know gift in theater. But you can't do that in TV and film. You have the close up, never going to happen. Yeah. You know, you you have to have the most rare of rare genetics to to pass for so much younger so much older or a really good casting director who just says okay uh our lead for this role is like 28 uh they're supposed to be playing <laughs> a high school cast every extra around them to be 26 and they will look fine <laughs> you know and that's why you get these like teen movies and i'm doing air quotes here where you know everybody's like man everybody everybody there looks so much older that they do in real life but they've cast everybody around that person to be about the same age so it kind of looks normal but if you put them next to a real high schooler the the difference is obvious yeah uh, it, so that's it's casting like, 101 guys <laughs> dude it, yeah it's like stark it's like oh that's disturbing like we always yeah. think teenagers look so much older just because that's how it happened I love what you said about how everything out here is a gamble and it really is. And you kind of have to, you know, have your side hustle and your, your money-making job and then continue to pursue things. And you really have to live with a lot of drive, but I wonder, you know, that, that whole idea of our lives being a gamble, do you think that's actually something that everyone is kind of dealing with on some level, then they just don't know it. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I, I don't feel that way. I, I, I actually feel like, there are many paths in life you can take that you're not gambling with um, mm. where I can, I can rewind the clock and look back at my life and say, you know what, if I had made this choice in college to maybe go into computer sciences or it or really any number of different fields, uh, then my path forward is very, very clear. And I say this also as a person who used to specialize in training and development, even within a lot of organizations, if you want to climb the ranks of management, there is a path forward for you. It may not be an easy path, but there is a path. And if it's not at that company, it might be at another company. And what it usually is, is I do, you know, one to three years of very, very diligent work in this field to become a technical expert at this one thing. I find this career either in my company or in this other company and so on and so forth. And, and I use what I've I leverage, what I've learned now to get me a higher, better position somewhere else. And there's a lot of industries like that. Even uh, politics are like that. And even Ooh, yeah. politics have an essence, a semblance of gambling because you are gambling on how many people are actually going to vote for you, but there's still a chain up where, okay, I started at the city council level. Well, now I'm going after the mayoral race or now i'm going after the senatorial race and now i'm going after the presidency you know or uh, i went you know through the chain up to governor now from governor up to president there's there's ways up to the top pathways other people have already followed through them it's it's not a mystery of of how you jump to there and even when people some people jump the line you know like uh, uh president trump where okay i'm just a business guy i've never been in politics before even even that jump to the presidency was something that people could say, yeah, we we understand how that can happen because that's our political system. We we understand 
you he still had to go through all the uh oh my gosh what are we talking about the, uh the republican primaries yeah. he still had to win at the republican primary he still had to win at you know at these different stages of the game and at any one of those he could have been derailed he just wasn't you know and so you know the thing is is that with acting though or and, and many you know many of the industries in the creative field uh, you might be nobody today and somebody tomorrow that fast and it's it's sickening <laughs> like, i don't know how to put it where I, I get so i'm in awe of it and when i talk about kind of the hypocrisy we wear on our sleeve we at the same time will glorify the person uh i was going to talk about this way earlier now i just remember coming back to it uh when we talk about extras so there's a great scene in star trek 4 where they were filming in san francisco and some extra opened up their mouth and set a line the director liked it and said oh yeah, yeah okay i really like that we want to keep that so they paid for that person who was just some random nobody wasn't even a, a paid professional background actor to get into sag <laughs> because they had to uh they had hardly this person to, to be back now to say this line for this major motion picture and so they say wow that's some great amazing story now let's talk about the reverse of this now you've got some guy on key and peel who uh is playing one of their background members and is trying to you know say lines or do motions or be noticed and he's considered an annoyance simultaneously you have the same scenario in two different places but one made you famous or got you money or got you some sort of prestige or became this story of the extra you know surpassing their boundaries and then you have the opposite side of it where doing that is we don't want to see that it is unprofessional that's not something we want to see both simultaneously existing in the same profession and yet you know how do you rectify this it's you know in in technology we deal with zero-based systems all the time, and we deal with binary. It's a zero or it's a one. It can't be in between, and it can't be both. It has to be one or the other. And yet, in the creative industry, we can have both. We can simultaneously say we want people to take risks. We want people to try and reach above. And when they do, we should praise that because that took some sort of gusto or energy or drive to to manage that but then on the flip side we could also say well that was really unprofessional you know they really needed to stay in their lane they were disruptive they were you know uh distracting you know they were making problems and that's what we we pay these people not to do that and that's hollywood that's this weird thing where we will say to somebody like oh yeah we're we're so glad that that uh person managed to find their way through break in and yet we'll also look at somebody in almost the exact same scenario and say, I can't believe that person was trying to break in that way. You know, that's uh, that's social climbing. That's, you know, uh, that's that's the wrong way to do it. So interesting. And this brings something up that I wanted to ask you about, because mm -hmm. um, I've always considered you an incredibly gifted communicator. I'm sure everyone who's listening can see like you just have a mind that is that is so sharp and it's always just rolling forward and you connect thoughts so seamlessly. And I'm sure that helped you uh, as you were on sets and meeting people and, and being in rooms. But mm -hmm. um, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, you're technically an introvert. Is that correct? Like oh, being yeah. around. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> and so like being around a lot of people, you're very good at it, but it like it wears you out and you kind of need to go home and like, you know, go to your cocoon and just recharge before you can go out and do it again. Um, I think that's such an interesting combination of factors. 
so my question for you is, is do you, you project that you really enjoy interacting with people? Uh, do you, I'm sure there's a kind of a spectrum to it, but what's that like for you being so gifted and gregarious, but also being like, I need my me time. Well, here's the thing. And, and this is a lot of Hollywood, by the way, guys, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I've always wanted to meet a Hollywood star. And I think this would be really fun to go on a vacation. And what do I do if I meet a Hollywood star? All right. First off, just because we are good with people does not mean we like being around people. This is the, <laughs> this is the, the trick is that you have to understand that extrovert and introvert do have a very different connotation when you're dealing with performers. I hear a laugh. I want the bigger laugh. Like and I chase it, but I get my energy from when I'm alone at home. Nothing is more satisfying to me than when I am in my little man cave or study and no one is bothering me for months. Like COVID <laughs> happened. And I, I, I was like, this is, this was, it was almost a dream vacation anywhere. I, I actually needed to step out of my house to go. There was no traffic. At home, I had the free license to play as many video games as I wanted, read any books that I wanted, and it took almost two years of that in California before I was like, oh, you know, I really start, I'm really missing people now. <laughs> you know, I really, can we socialize again now? It took oh, almost dude. two years of, of full COVID lockdowns in California before I finally got to the place where I was thinking, okay, I kind of want to see people. And then I remember being in Arizona, going to my uh, mom's church. For Christmas, and then feeling like, okay, yeah, I've scratched that itch. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I, I'm good now. <laughs> oh my goodness, and, that's and amazing. That's the difference is I I can enjoy being the life of the party, or I can enjoy performing for people. But that is spending energy. That is me giving energy. It is, uh, and it's not my home base. And the thing a lot of people misunderstand is that for the LA say party scene, a guy like Jack Nicholson is a true extrovert. He was a party animal. If he wasn't on set, there was a full 24-7 party happening at his house with the best layer of drugs being at the top and the worst layer of drugs being at the bottom and sex on every floor. You know, like the dude would not stop. That's the life he wants to live. He is a true extrovert. And I mean, say whatever you will. This isn't a, you know, uh, uh, you know, to, you know, make moral judgments about his life but i am saying when people think hollywood they tend to think we are all that level of extroverted i need people around me all the time i always need uh this i'm like no guys you don't understand many people who get into acting are struggling with their inner demons they had something they feel like they need to prove to other people sometimes they got into it for a career because they think it'd be like winning the lottery a lot of people come out here, guys, looking to win the lottery. Yeah. A lot of people think acting, oh, I'm doing it because it's so much fun and I find it to be so fulfilling. <laughs> Don't lie. You want to win the lottery. That's why you're out here. You are hoping you're the one. <laughs> you know? Yeah, man, the one yeah. out of the 340 million. It's okay. You can just admit it. I admit it. That's one of the reasons I came out here. You're looking for the easiest path forward to making the most amount of money with the least amount of work and stress. <laughs> there's no, there's no shame in admitting it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I remember uh, I met Christian Bale on the set of the prestige. I've actually worked three different movies where he was working. Uh, and, uh, and that one, I actually got a chance to talk to him and really, really great guy, but boy, you want to talk 100% introvert. This is him. When he does choose to talk, he is a, I think, then I speak. And when I speak, I'm giving you gold. Exactly what I wanted to say. 
no more, no less. And if I have chosen to talk to you, it is because I feel you are worth my time. Uh, but if I don't feel that way, I'm just not going to talk to you. That's not being rude. That's me protecting me. There, you know, I, I want to be in my shell. That's where I feel safe. Now, on the other hand, same days working with Hugh Jackman, the man is the textbook extrovert where, you know, we were doing the scene. Uh, I don't know if you saw the prestige, but uh, it's a scene where Hugh Jackman is revealing the machine for the first time to, to the audience. So he taps the cane, he lifts his arms and the curtain rises up and we see the machine. Okay. Uh, that, that was the scene we were filming that was right here in downtown LA, not England guys. <laughs> we disguise <laughs> oh, things very well. Pulling back but, the curtain. Go ahead. Yeah. So he lifts the curtain and, you know, Chris Nolan, he's there. He's like, okay, cut. Uh, all right, great. And Hugh Jackman, you know, without this, could be, he's on stage holding the cane, arms are up, drops his arms, looks for a second, and then, you know, if you're blue and don't you know, he starts going <laughs> into putting on the Ritz, just right there, having a blast, we're all laughing, he's doing a great job, and uh, and then, you know, of course, he points to the audience, you know, points to all of us, and we're all, and he's like, yes! He just starts, he was the exact opposite, true extrovert. He gets energy from being around people from that situation now both of them are brilliant brilliant performers absolutely brilliant in what they do couldn't be more different in how they do it also uh note about casting excellent excellent way to cast those two roles they got the extrovert and the introvert two these two guys are supposed to be these kind of butting headed opposites brilliant casting by casting two actors who actually also have entirely different personalities, entirely different ways of getting there uh, as actors, but both get there to, to, to crank out these amazing performances. And a lot of people think if they're going to meet Hugh Jackman, he's going to be like Hugh Jackman. And actually with Hugh Jackman, he actually is. That's nice. <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that actually, that one, okay, maybe that wasn't the best example. But uh, with, uh, let me think of a, a really good example. Uh, oh, 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 oh. Uh, think of any male or female in a sitcom that you thought had this quirky, fun, nice guy personality. Mm, yep. Oof. Keep in mind, they're actors. You yeah. may go to your first set like I did. Uh, I went on the set of Numbers. I'm not bagging on anybody there. Oh, but yeah. I'm saying the persona that... Uh, oh, no. Here's a good example. Okay. Um, George Clooney. Uh, textbook. Textbook example of this. I thought, because I had worked on... E you know, I had uh, seen... ER before ever coming to LA and kind of you know what role jo George Clooney was playing on that show I thought that's who George Clooney was going to be that is not who he is if you watch Oh Brother Where Art Thou that's who George Clooney actually is <laughs> oh, he man. is shooting basketball he's joking laughing he is one of the he is at almost Hugh Jackman levels of extrovert and silliness I mean the guy he he is a jokester you wouldn't know that though, because what he's most known for is like, you know, Ocean's Eleven or these cool, kind of sophisticated roles. Those are ones where he actually has to struggle to act. He has to pull everything in super tight and give a very like laser like performance. That's not actually who he is. That's him doing some of his best acting. Huh. It's when he is joking and laughing and dancing and being stupid. That's the easiest acting for him to do because that's who he naturally is. And so a lot of times people, when they think, what is good acting? I'm like, well, it's you having to get as far away from who you are at your home base as you can. 
but what you see on the screen, you may not know what that person's home base is. And that's one of the reasons why I, I kind of say when you're evaluating acting, unless you know what this person is actually like behind closed doors, you don't know how much acting they were actually doing on screen. And that can be the, the what's the word I'm looking for? Um, that could be what dispels your illusion is when you actually meet them for the first time, uh, they're very different, uh, you know, and whatever they've got going on is what they've got going on. And all the characters you've seen them play, they might be the go-to person for the nice guy smiling. Hey, you know, I'm the best buddy support role, but behind closed doors, they might be a jerk. You know, they might swear like a sailor. They might, you know, treat people badly around them, but they bank their bank by being this type of role and they act it really well, but it is acting, you know? And then there's other roles where, I mean, you literally show up looking like a million bucks and you just say your lines, you just recite them. That's why I got into acting. I want to do the easy stuff, man. Just show up and say lines and, oh, hey, look at that. He's so brilliant. Okay, great. Here's a, uh, you know, $10,000 in residuals. Oh, hey, <laughs> awesome. Yes. Dude, that's so wise, man. And I, I love the way you put it earlier. Like, we sometimes look at these celebrities like zoo animals and we forget, like, yeah. yo, they're real people. If you meet them mm -hmm. in public, leave them alone. Like, would you walk up to any random stranger and ask them to do something for you that puts them out of what they're doing? Like, come on now. Uh, I understand yeah. it, right? They're famous. It's it's a head trip to see someone in real life. So just, you know, everybody out there, if it happens to you, be courteous, be kind. Mm -hmm. And don't uh, don't assume that they owe you anything. They might be having a terrible time, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's hard to be in a celebrity, and there's a lot of heartache uh, in their lives. close to the end of our timer so a couple questions i wanted to hit i loved uh hearing more about kind of your journey and just you kind of laying it all out and uh on this show we also like to give people a chance to talk about personal philosophy faith spirituality uh, and you and i have, have known each other a long time and i've watched you kind of with your journey and i know that of late you've kind of been maybe experiencing some new things having some new thoughts asking some new questions and i just wanted to give you the floor uh, to talk about it because i think uh, some people might really be encouraged to hear uh, what you've gone through and you know share what you like share what you know keep to yourself what you don't uh but yeah, yeah go ahead man yeah well uh well you know i i grew up with a with a christian household and that out here in la might as well just be the kiss of death it's a very strange thing to uh to admit you're a christian in la but uh, uh putting all la aside i think my life lesson has really been one of I think Christianity inspires a lot of hope. It's beautiful. But I also think you can hit a turning point where you do start to question that faith. And, you know, real talk here, folks, uh, you know, the midlife crisis, that's a real thing. And it doesn't just extend to what goals you feel like you may not have set yet in life. You may look backwards and reevaluate your religion too and say, has what I believed up to this point prevented me from living the life I thought I could leave or like what, what restrictions has this put on me? You know, what freedoms has this given me? And it can be really tough. I, I've definitely thought a lot about my Christian walk and 
uh, I can definitely say I think um, there has been some downsides to Christianity. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that not enough pastors may want to mention uh, is that when we when we talk about biblical stories, and uh, you know, and you're the one sitting in the audience, most biblical stories are told to you as from the point of here's what you should learn from the main figure involved in the story. So one of the great ones back in the Old Testament, talking about Moses. And so, you know, for instance, a pastor might say, okay, so here's the story of Moses. And, you know, the Israelites are, or they're not Israelites yet. The Hebrews are fighting against this warring tribe during their 40 years of wandering. And, you know, as long as Moses has his arms up, the, the battle is being won. But his arms start failing. So, you know, the, the solution comes to have two guys hold his arms up for him. So you're told this story by the pastor and depending on the pastor, they might say, okay, well, this story is obviously, you know, we're, we're trying to make you look at Moses and, and empathize with Moses. And is there somebody out there that you might need to let into your life to support you? That might be the lesson that they're trying to give you for this tale. Or they might try to give you the tale. Maybe you're one of those two guys and you, there's somebody in your life you need to be lifting up as they do their mission. And, uh, and you might be thinking, oh, okay, yeah, maybe that's the lesson I'm supposed to take away. Uh, maybe I need to either accept help or maybe need to give help. Oh, great lesson there. Big thumbs up to the pastor. But uh, where I'm at in my life with Christianity is to say, how do you know you're not the guy on the field dying anytime that dude's arms go down? Because that's what was happening. There were Hebrews fighting in that battle, dying anytime, you know, Moses' yeah, arms were dropped. Yeah, man. You're right. Now, That's real stuff. Yeah. And if you were a woman, you weren't even in the battle. <laughs> you know, you were hoping that they don't lose because then you're all taken into slavery. Like, you know, you might be the guy who was injured in the previous battle and you're not even, even able to fight in this one. There's all these stories uh, in the Bible that we draw moral lessons from or try to draw moral lessons from. But I think one of the things that has been hard for me now you know maybe maybe it's because it's middle age maybe it's because i'm in a career transition is looking back on these things and saying you know what guys what if you're not you think you're the hero of your story what if you're not what if you're the extra the background artist in somebody else's story what if you're the guy who walks into the graveyard and we've all done this at some point everybody's been to a graveyard i think for the most part and there's just all these tombstones and you wonder what were the stories for all these people i've never heard of this name you know it's not like this was abraham lincoln's grave this isn't you know the grave you know of my parent or my you know whatever there's just all these nameless people and there's this range of dates of when they lived and what did they what did they do like what was their story what mark did they leave and we live our lives sometimes um in this ambiguity of like what is my life really about where is it really going and I think we miss out on uh, understanding maybe where the value could be, because sometimes I think, especially a lot of these biblical stories, we miss that, oh, if Rahab, this prostitute, hadn't lived this life and you know betrayed her people to help the Israelites, she never would have become the grandmother of David. Her role in the story, really, like she's a main character right now, but lived this vast majority of her life where only one moment really decided everything. And then how she chose to live after that moment, you know, decided a lot of things too. But we, 
I, I feel like sometimes Christianity sells you on this, uh, on a lot of principles that aren't necessarily always in the Bible. They're more cultural. Uh, and also sometimes tries to sell you on the religion itself. Try to sell you like, oh, well, you know, if you have more faith, you will find these things coming into your life. If you do the things we tell you to do and live the moral way, uh, the way that we're telling you, uh, you will have, you know, the marriage, the prosperity, the the job, the security, the joy, the whatever. And I feel that what's also on those pages is you could be guaranteed that, yeah, if you believe in Christ, your soul is saved, but you also may be promised a life that has a lot of strife that doesn't get you the things you want. Or yeah. by following these principles, sometimes it doesn't lead you to the marriage, the job, the whatever, it may lead you to some other road entirely. And there's just no guarantees. And I think it's kind of the lie of Christianity in a lot of churches is that they, it's a lie of omission uh, mm. where a lot of churches don't want to tell you that, um, you know, the truth, you know, because they, they want <laughs> you to have hope and believe yeah. <laughs> like this is going to make your life better. And it will make your spiritual life better, guaranteed. You know, yeah. your soul will be saved. But that does not necessarily mean any earthly consequences are gone for the decisions that you made this far. It mm. doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, you know, that forgiveness from people in the mortal realm may come your way just because you've decided to change your life. It doesn't mean that going ahead everything will magically get better like oh I'll, I'll meet that person i'll you know find that job i'll whatever whatever that thing is all it really means is that your soul has changed and that you have dedicated your life to this being as you know a servant you've reordered yeah. your life and said okay i i'm going to change the way that i do things and hope things get better and i will say that for your soul things definitely will uh you know but for your circumstances who knows you know my dad was a prison chaplain for 20 years i'm like yeah guys who came to christ in prison they're still in prison you know it, it's not changing that it, it changes their their end outcome and it doesn't rewrite the history you know um and this is kind of one of those things about christianity that i feel like a lot of pastors sidestep around you know that yeah you're if you change for god it doesn't necessarily mean that the world changes for you Dude, that is that is unbelievably wise. <laughs> I'm actually listening through. Um, there's a a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs, and they updated mm. the fo famous Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I'm just listening to story after story of people that, you know, chose to follow Jesus in a concrete way, and they knew from the outset. Some of them, like this, probably is going to mean my life. Uh, you know, yeah. people living in communist countries, uh, or during certain periods in history, endured unimaginable horror. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and and kept their faith through it and so it's like i you know being an american believer uh i think we need those stories i think mm -hmm. and, and the kind of the things you just said it's like hey listen jesus said uh if you come to me you got to lose your life to find it you got to take up your cross every day and so that's it's a difficult message uh to balance with with joy right christianity i'll say following jesus because i think you know, christianity can be a little bit more cultural like you said but following jesus yeah. is is full of extremes uh it's full of uh, extremes of of light and peace uh in the midst of extremely tough situations uh no matter where you are there's there's some kind of sacrifice you're making and uh, yes. it's, a, it's a sacrifice worth making but it is still a sacrifice yeah um, and, and it's hard hard to preach on a sunday i know yeah and it's uh it's 
uh, I don't want to say it's a gamble because the, the one certainty is your soul will be saved. But what I think a lot of Christian churches, at least in the West, kind of do as a disservice is that you're really supposed to understand what you're getting into before making the commitment for Christ. And a lot of times, I think, uh, at least in LA, and I'm not naming names of any churches, but I think it's a lot of churches. I think you're right. It's it's a lot. They sell you, you know, uh, if you go into a a car dealership and you're looking for the Jeep, somebody might try to upsell you onto a car you don't want, or make sure you don't leave a lot until you have bought that Jeep. But do you need a Jeep? What is in your life? Do you understand what it means to own a car, to make the payments, to have the insurance, to be a responsible driver, to have a license, to you know be the responsible driver if you did hit somebody and God forbid we're in a horrible accident, are you going to stand up and take responsibility and accountability for that? Or are you going to try to drive away you know, in the middle of the night? There's a whole list of requirements that when it comes to being a Christian, I'm like, guys, this isn't just a, you know, uh, uh, I, I heard this really inspiring message. And I'm just going to jump in this, you know, pool of water or, you know, be baptized in my head and, and, and everything's changed. I'm like, you got to know what you're getting into because there's a story around Christianity where the central figure was hung up on a cross and yeah. crucified. Like, do you, if you don't understand the nature of like what sin is, you know why you know why that exists in our lives and how we got to a point where we needed a savior then what are you really stepping into you're stepping into the feel-good moment of what these people have kind of sold you on and then i feel like when that bill comes due that's when a lot of quote christians get really disappointed is they kind of say like well wait a minute i thought i was told or taught these things and i have to kind of say what were you taught because if you were taught wrong, you know, you do what you've trained to do. That's my favorite saying in the world as a martial artist, as a trainer, as an IT guy, as whatever. You do what you've trained to do. And unfortunately, a lot of churches are training, you know, Christians to only think about this from almost the purely emotional standpoint of if it makes you feel good or you feel good around these people or it felt good to hear these things about yourself, then that that's what should lead you to this next thing. And following Christ is not purely emotional. There is a logical side to it as well. And the logical part of the Bible, when you look at it, is I am in for a load of hurt. I potentially (laughs) could be in a lot of trouble for what I'm about to believe. And do I really want to enter into this? And this is why I think a lot of people in LA, uh, especially like within the LGBTQ community or the trans community, whatever, when they say they have issues with Christianity, oh, I get it. I totally understand, you know, because you're walking through the door and that place may sell you on that. God loves you. This Now change. <laughs> you know, mm, yeah. that's what you need to do. And I'm like, look, the Bible's really frank about things that they'll say. Yeah, this is a sin and this isn't. And if we say it's a sin, then we need you to stop doing this. And some people don't want to do that. Well, the religion I'm just being honest here, guys. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, uh, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I'm just going to say, look, if the religion says you can't do this and you want to do that anyway, you really need to think twice about whether you want to actively try to pursue that religion. You know, that's that's where I feel like the dishonesty sometimes comes from with Christianity is when they kind of throw their hands up in the air and say, well, we just hope everything works itself out. I'm like, no, you have to tell people what this thing actually says, what's being required of them. And because this is a contract you are making with an 
otherworldly being that we <laughs> do not fully understand how to comprehend. And he's trying to communicate with us in a way that we might understand, but then you have got to look at every word that's on these pages if they are divinely inspired and you have to tell people what is in there because boy, let me tell you, you know, if you're only taking the highlights and telling people what they want to hear, you're not doing them any favors. Dude. Uh, it's funny. I just, uh, I listened to the Bible project podcast and they recommended this great book called how not to read the Bible, which basically makes that same <laughs> yeah. point. Like, yo, a lot of people these days, and it, it makes sense because of the digital revolution and the internet culture. The only thing they know about the Bible is the memes making fun of strange verses. And yes. so this whole <laughs> book is like, hey, yo, you got to know what's in here. Like mm -hmm. those so many people like that, like you said, they're not taught. They get to they they run into their first person who kind of knows a little more than they do. And they just their faith crumbles because there's just no foundation to it. Um, so this book is really helpful. I'll link to it in the show notes for any young people who are like, you may, like you said, maybe have grown up in a church uh, that, that makes them feel really good, but then they they encounter something that they've just never read in the Bible before. And they're like, wait a second, what's going on? Um, and that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's a good journey for anyone to go through to, to re realign yourself, but it, it can be very unpleasant. Um, mm -hmm. But like you said, um, I agree. Like a walk of faith is often full of unpleasantness, but it's the faith that can help sustain you through it. Um, well, as we always do, we like to close with one question. You've already laid a lot of wisdom on us, man. But is there any, is there one piece of wisdom that you'd like to leave the listeners with as we wrap up? Oh boy. Uh, well, there's a lot of pieces of wisdom uh, that I'd love to leave the audiences with. But if I had to just stick to one, uh, I think... From what we've said here today, I would say you have to understand what it is you really want in life and whether you're gambling with it or not. Uh, I think too many times we are taught to pursue things and we don't necessarily know when the right time is to give up. We have a very horrible stigma about giving up in our country and especially in the acting TV and film industry where that that sense of gambling of oh but if you just had hung on one more day that audition might have come and that audition might have led to you know your morgan freeman-esque career where you start <laughs> are, are still working to this day as one of the, the big name actors in the world on the other hand you may not that's the gambling i'm talking about here and i think you need to understand what you are gambling with uh when you go to college and get your college degree when you decide on your career, when you decide on who to date or who to marry, you know, you, you want to gamble with as little in your life as possible. And you need to understand when this is something that you are able to correct if something goes wrong and when you are possibly over-investing and making a big mistake. Uh, I don't know how many people are familiar with uh, gambling logic, but the whole point of a casino slot machine is to mess you up psychologically. <laughs> it's, it's what it does. If you talk to any kids, or not to talk to any kids, talk to any child psychologist, they'll tell you, if you really want to screw up a kid, you don't. it's not that you give them praise all the time. And it's not that you, you know, uh, scold them all the time. It's that you, you don't, you let them know which is coming when. So uh, the gambling philosophy is I get this payout and oh my gosh, that's so amazing. So you keep pulling the lever, hoping for another one that you don't know is coming. That's how you get people to overinvest into things. 
and mm. you, you you give them this this big reward this big payoff but then you never let them know when that next one's coming and the problem that a lot of people have is that they might win 50 bucks at that slot machine but then spend 500 dollars trying to get that next 50 dollar win this is what i'm talking about when i talk about gambling with your life sometimes we i know for me i gambled with the acting industry i came out here hoping to you know make a career and i did not really give it everything i had but i also can say from living out here it is a it was a gamble and i lost and i mm. have probably overinvested into that career by at least 10 years uh, where i kind of bought into the idea that there was always more time if you just keep playing if you keep pursuing it or if you at least keep in a position to keep that dream alive something might still happen and technically something still could but you only have so much lifetime to, to deal with. And there has to be a point in your life where you make, I know this is very unpopular to say, but a conservative decision. <laughs> say, okay, how much success have I really had at this point? Is this really worth investing into anymore? And, and make a choice for something different. So as many things in your life as you can not gamble with, uh, don't, you know, and that goes for relationships. You know, uh, I've seen it a thousand times out here of people who, yo, I just want to date around. And then when I'm ready to settle down, you know, then I'll, you know, do that. I'm like, yeah, you're training yourself to fail, bud. <laughs> you, know, mm. you do what you train to do. If all you've done is train yourself to be in casual relationships, don't, you can't expect a magic wand to wave and now you're ready for it. If you've sat around playing video games your whole life, you can't expect somebody to wave a magic wand and, oh, now I'm ready for a career. If you've, you know, studied for 20 years in, you know, uh, uh, European dance theory, and now oh, I I, I want to get some sixty thousand dollar a year job. Well, that ain't gonna happen, man. You've you've invested into so you you took a gamble, and it's not gonna pay out. You know, so the, as much as you can hedge that ahead of time by I don't want to say making safe bets, but by by going after things that you know you can invest into and will have a return on your investment. Uh, you know, if you're looking to go to college only go after a degree that has a future that you can see ahead of you something that the economy actually needs if you are looking you know if you're with somebody and you're like man this person's amazing yeah that if they're amazing that's probably somebody you probably should marry if you have this pipe dream of well i could always meet some i might meet somebody better or what if there's somebody else out there who's my soulmate or some crap like that that's that's the gambling mentality maybe i can do better maybe there's something else out there maybe i'm missing something that's those are all myths and fears that we tell ourselves to because we we think things out there might make us happier and we end up over investing at the slot machine dude man that is a lot to chew on thank you brother thanks for laying that yeah, out there time, i think man. and i think it's a great uh counterpoint to what is you know i think a positive uh message that is very uh prevalent these days to like go after what you're driven to achieve. And I think that is good. But um, I did actually a segment on this on one of my earlier podcasts, like you got to count the cost. You yeah. do need to like, look at what it'll take, what the job actually is and think to yourself, okay, do I really want to do that job if I never succeed? Like, will I be happy with the life that I've lived if I do that for any amount of time and if it never happens for me? And so like, it's, it's hard to answer that question for yourself for real when you're young. It's mm -hmm. so hard. Um, so, you know, but it's, all we can do is, is tell, tell the young and, and hope that the, it sinks in, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, or the young at heart. Well, dude, I want to respect your time. Thank you so much for coming to the ramble room. Have a fantastic oh, anytime, day. Man. And like I said, I had a lot more questions we didn't get to. So hopefully we'll have you on again sometime.
Well, you know me, I uh, love the sound of my own voice, obviously, <laughs> and I don't run out of wind very quickly. So anytime you want me on, I would love to come back. And for those of you out there who are listening to the ramblings of a revenant alien, I highly recommend going back and listening through some of the other selections you can find on Spotify. And if uh, <laughs> you have Spotify, that is again, the podcast section for ramblings of a revenant alien. There's some excellent episodes out there and a lot of wisdom you can learn from this man. Thank you so much, my friend. Well, you have a fantastic day, and we'll uh, talk to you soon. Absolutely. All right. You have a great one. And uh, for those of you out there, hopefully we will see you next time. (laughs) Peace. And there you have it, everybody. Some hard but true words. Count the cost. Know when you're gambling. Know what you're willing to risk and what you're willing to lose. And know when to walk away, I guess. I think there's some song about that. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that uh, can make you angry. It can make you really sober. It can make you think. And maybe it's encouraging if it's the place that you're at, right, in your life where you're looking and seeing what you hoped for and now where you are. And you got to make some tough choices. And I think uh, some of Kevin's words can maybe help you do that. So I hope they encouraged you. And if they didn't, well, still worth considering, I think, even if you disagree. And that's really what we're about here at the Ramble Room. Whoever we have on, we give them the floor and just let them say what they think. Because I don't think we should ever be afraid of ideas, no matter what they do to us in the moment. We can always chew on them, see what they give us, and move forward. I appreciate you, Kevin. Thanks so much for coming on. And if you enjoyed the show, uh, please do rate and review on whatever platform you're on, and subscribe and share with someone you think might enjoy it as well. And if you'd like to support the show concretely, just click the last link in the show notes as support. It'll take you to a place where you can do that. If you want to reach out to me, you can reach me at revenantalien.com slash contact. I'm also on Twitter, Instagram, and Medium under the handle at a revenant alien. Just search for that and look for the logo. And as always, wherever you are in your journey, whether you're at the beginning with high hopes, in the middle of the struggle, or if you're at an inflection point where you realize your life's about to become very different than what you thought it might be, and you're trying to find the right path to walk through all the chaos, I hope you'll check out revenantalien.com slash searchers. Like Kevin said, it's not necessarily an easy way. But, just because the road is hard, doesn't mean it's not the right one. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't be a stranger. Godspeed. And I'll see you next time, here at the Ramble Room. Ramble Room.